You are listening to Awaken ADHD, a podcast where people share their ADHD stories, life before and after diagnosis, support strategies, strengths and challenges. Hi, I'm Jade and I'll be your host. I'm a counsellor, ADHD coach and fellow ADHDer. So join me as we awaken ADHD. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello, I'm joined today by Cameron. Cameron's a 30-year-old fellow Melbourneian. Uh, Cameron identifies as gay, gender-fluid, non-binary, masculine presenting person. Uh, I thought I'd stuff that up and I didn't. Uh, they currently work at a, as a court registrar at Neighbourhood Justice Centre and a self-described as a boring government job. It doesn't sound boring. It sounds quite interesting, but well, I'm sure we'll hear about that. Uh, Cameron's been involved in a few LGBTQIA plus organisations and volunteers with a few others. Uh, they have a background in education, management and skin care. Okay, don't know how that fits in, but we'll soon hear. And work experience and support in community work, corporate and customer service. Uh, yeah, Cameron said that whilst today is a calm day, they can't promise they won't talk too much. And I feel like, as an ADHDer, we should never make that promise. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. I did, just, full disclosure, I did just take my medication about um, 20 minutes ago, so... We'll see. We'll see how we go. <laughs> see how we go. <laughs> no, I was a bit late today. Yeah. Does that mean you're going to be up late? Uh, I take um, Dexies. So yeah. uh, usually they last about four or five hours. So I should be okay. Should be right to around sleep around nine o'clock to wind down. Yeah. That sounds good. I also said that we needed uh, the cameras on because without the cameras on, us ADHDers talk over each other more than we will already anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It can be hard sometimes. Exactly. So thanks for joining us again. And I guess we just start with when you first awakened or realized you had ADHD. I've always felt a little bit uh, different. Maybe I think the best way I can describe it is because um, in school always it was the conversation around mainstream. Are you part of the mainstream? So I think I would say I'm probably mainstream adjacent. So always felt like I could follow along but never really feeling like I was the same as everybody else. So the tr I guess the true awakening for myself uh, would be within the last three years. Uh, so I had clinical depression for almost 13 years. And then um, I had various forms of um, counseling, psychology, therapy, um, and then towards the end, medication. And I guess it wasn't really until I came out of that that I was really able to identify more within myself sort of behaviors and some of the things that I would struggle with on a daily basis and sort of trying to understand where those things are coming from and why I might be feeling a little bit um, dysregulated or I guess chaotic inside. And then I guess it was, yeah, it was in 2020 when I sort of started winding back from taking antidepressants and then 
the best way to describe it is because I had not really felt emotion for so long. It was like the doors opened and then suddenly I felt everything all at once and just felt really emotionally just for probably, I would say probably a good 12 months all, all through 2021. Yeah. So you had this big journey of depression and you saw multiple different types of practitioners through that time, none of whom suspected or spoke about ADHD to you. It was just, this is depression. We're going to treat that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll talk a little bit more about it, um, about my childhood uh, after after this, but I guess it was kind of hard to identify. And even when I did get diagnosed, um, my psychiatrist kind of said at the beginning that I didn't really display any of the sort of physical behaviors that he would expect of someone who has ADHD. But then by the end of the diagnostic session, I was starting to move around a little bit more and be fidgety and not really able to focus too much. But yeah, seeing the therapists, no one had really flagged it. I did have a really bad, it was categorized as moderate to severe clinical depression. So it was a, a big hole that I was in for a long time and it was hard to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a lot of distracting myself for a long time. Right. Wow. What a tough journey there. And then as you came off the medication, that's right, the antidepressant medication, then all of the feelings just hit you in one big addict. Essentially, yeah. It was kind of, there was like a three-month period where my GP, who I've been seeing for many, many years now, he's amazing, um, said that the medication I was on, it's not really something you can just sort of stop. You need to ease your way off, take it step by step, two, three, four weeks at a time, slowly winding down. So I did it over the course of probably four months. And it was sort of at the the three month into easing off that's I started becoming really overwhelmed uh, most days. And then I think it didn't help as well that we were in COVID lockdown. And that was also a lot of self-reflection, a lot of time to sit with my thoughts. And I guess it was good in a way to understand myself a bit more, but it was very confronting having so much time to myself to just face the reality of how I was feeling internally and sort of, yeah, have all of these emotions um, envelop me all at once and I had a panic attack a couple of times and I had never had one of those before in my life and it was just really yeah such a big weight had been left off my shoulders um but then all of a sudden this all these other things came in um that I wasn't used to dealing with and uh sort of I guess managing my emotions yeah right so you've gone from this kind of really flat well, you know, in counselor terms, a flat affect, you know, really kind of low mood to this real introspection and kind of lifting of that fog of depression, which then took you to more elevated energy, you know, in the the panic and anxiety realm in a really big way. And then you were, COVID was really compounding that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think the main thing through COVID, uh, which I think is probably the main motivator that kind of led me towards 
going and getting diagnosed was that there was no structure. There was a period where I was working from home full time, but even within that, there's not really a structure in terms of you have to wake up at a certain time so that you can get dressed, get ready. You have to travel somewhere. Then when you're at work, you need to make sure that you have, you know, you bring your lunch. Is it going to rain? You need an umbrella. All of these things you need to prepare for. Whereas working from home, it was just, I could get up 10 minutes before I had to start working. And then even while I was working, you know, I could clean my apartment, do some laundry. There wasn't really the same sort of separation between home life and a work life as uh, there is now and there was before. And it was definitely the combination of coming out of sort of, like you said, um, like the fog of depression. I likened it more to drowning. It did feel a lot of the time like I was drowning and sort of like, yeah, coming up for that breath of air after such a long time and then also having nothing to sort of keep me within some bound boundaries. Yeah, really untethered yeah. sort of feeling that I've heard lots of um, ADHDers describe and, and I feel it myself when you don't have any sort of structure and routine, as much as we get bored with structure and routine, it's still we need something to tether us or we're a bit mm. kind of free-floating and aimless. And Yeah, and I think starting medication for ADHD definitely was a, a big step that really helped me to sort of, I guess, gain some structure again because you have to make sure you take your medication at the right time every day, but also uh, to feel a bit more even day to day. Like I still, I do still have days where some, some days I just feel like it wouldn't matter how much medication I've taken. I'm just going to be off the wall. Can't stop thinking at a million miles um, or hyper-focusing on one thing for three hours straight and not being able to really do anything else. Medication helped, but then also working, going back to working full-time in an office environment and not just being at home really helped as well to have that structure five days a week and then being able to, I guess, structure the rest of the parts of my life around working full-time. Yeah, it was difficult before I got diagnosed for sure. Um, and it was a big learning curve when I started taking the medication. Yeah, it sounds like it. You know, I'm wondering what was some of the, obviously, you know, there's that untethered feeling and, and COVID was contributing to it. And But were there any specific um, traits or qualities or experiences that you had that made you think, oh, hang on a minute, maybe... Maybe this is ADHD. Like, do you remember any particular ones? I think the main ones would be for me personally in the morning when I wake up, it's just sort of like someone's turned a switch on. There's no the calmness from when I'm asleep to suddenly feeling like there's an orchestra playing in my head and I'm thinking so many different things so fast um, in rapid fire and not feeling so restless and not really being able to, I guess, regulate myself, but also have a judgment of how time is passing. 
um, in the morning, I really struggle, and especially during COVID, to sort of have that idea of, okay, so it's been an hour. What have I done in an hour? And just feeling like time was evaporating uh, out of nowhere and not really feeling like I was getting very much done. Uh, yeah. But definitely as well at the time when I was sort of becoming more aware of how I was feeling and behaviors, I was living with uh, my ex-partner and we were together at the time and sort of the observations that he had at the same time as as well as myself being stuck together inside the apartment for so long for such an extended period of time during the lockdowns uh i was i could be a bit erratic i might start singing or dancing without any real anything really happening before it's just just start happening just i would just start singing spontaneously yeah singing and dancing I was gonna ask was there anybody there to reflect back what's going on because I think that happened a lot in COVID for individuals that people were around them a lot more to observe these these quirks that they had and reflect them back and that's what it sounds like your spontaneous song and dance <laughs> or, or repeating songs did you get a song stuck in your head and just go non-stop yes or yeah Having that one song, just hyperfixiating on one song and then playing that one song all day, every day for like two or three weeks straight. And then my ex-partner just saying, you need to stop. It's too much. Why you? Why do you like this song so much? It's too much. <laughs> and I still do it now. Yes. <laughs> I usually, if somebody gets a song stuck in my head, like my kids will do it on purpose. I put a song. I'm not even going to say what the songs are because then I'll start, then it'll be over. Um, But there's a few that they know that are super annoying and I will just get stuck on them and maybe just the same verse of one song over and over again and I will just sing it until somebody comes and pokes me and says, you need to either learn the rest of the song or shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that does happen to me as well. Prior to being diagnosed, I guess, I, it was conversations I had with my GP. I'd also spoken to my psychologist as well about it. Uh, I guess like everybody else during COVID, I was on TikTok a lot and I sort of got into the the ADHD TikTok of, I guess, behaviors that people have um, or what it was like for them to get diagnosed and then I feel quite lucky at that time that that existed because I stumbled upon a TikTok that I had saved and it was uh, a young person in Melbourne who sort of detailed everything that they had to do to get to the point where they got their ADHD diagnosis and all of the steps that were required and so it felt like this huge huge thing that I needed to do for myself and I it sort of was I feel like most ADHDers can sort of relate to the yesterday today tomorrow there's not really a sort of you don't have uh today is this day of the week and on that day of the week I need to do this it's like living in yesterday today tomorrow and so yeah I really love that yeah getting diagnosed with sort of this thing that was in the background, like, oh, that's a future day. I need to do that in a day that's not tomorrow. 
but then that day would never come because <laughs> day that's not I have tomorrow. no structure. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh. And, and the process itself you know, is stacked against us. All of the admin, all of the forms, all of the emails, all of the following up and chasing up and 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 all of that is, you know, a lot of people just go, oh, I can't be bothered or I forgot about that. Oops. Yeah, exactly. Or it can feel really overwhelming because right. it's like you have to be a parent to yourself as when you have ADHD because if you don't keep yourself uh, accountable for the important things you need to do, then they just won't happen. So I found I sort of wait. It's probably like a three-week cycle. I don't even know if it's a cycle, but I feel like every three weeks or so, I just have like one good day where I feel maybe less ADHD than other days. And I, those are the days where I feel I can get my life admin stuff done. And it just happened that there was one day where I was, I think it was probably after a year of me thinking, maybe I have ADHD, this is something I need to do. And then I just went on the Australian psychiatrist website, looked up all of the psychiatrists near where I lived, and then just sent like 10 or 15 emails to all of these psychiatrists asking for when the next available diagnostic session was and then I still left it for about a month even though I emailed and got all of these replies I still left it for a month and then when I had another good day then I was like right this is the one that's the closest so I called them booked it in and then it was like a big weight off of my shoulders that I'd just sort of been thinking about for such a long time I just really yeah I just want to kind of highlight that wave that you're talking about or that pattern or something that I I feel many ADHDers experience and it's like, oh, I've got to wait for that next moment. Right, I can do it. And then wait for that next moment. No wonder it can take us a long time to get to the next point of whatever it is we're trying to do. We're either in it, doing it, and it's done, or we have to wait for that next good day. Yeah. I've never heard someone explain it in that way, but I think it makes a lot of sense. The way that I feel like is like a wave. Like I'm either being crushed, a wave is crashing on me and I sort of can't really hold on to anything or it's the in-between and everything's a bit calmer and I feel like, okay, now's this Now's the time. I need to take this opportunity to do something. Staying with that kind of water metaphor, when you were in that really dark place, you weren't even catching any waves. There were, yeah. The waves weren't coming. You were just under the water trying to keep your head yeah, above exactly. just a little bit. And, you know, it's interesting because you were saying before with your diagnosing psychiatrist that even even in session you weren't presenting the way he imagined you might present was he looking for a kind of a bouncy, yeah. wriggly, externally moving sort of a hyperactive little boy? I don't know. I guess he must have been sort of looking for some kind of uh, physical expression of ADHD coming from me. And I sort of mentioned it before that in my childhood, I think the main reason why I didn't get diagnosed earlier, my mum did try to get me and my brother diagnosed when we were small, but both of my parents were in the Air Force when they were in their 
uh, late teens, early 20s. And my mum for about 10 years was in the Air Force. And so we grew up with a lot of structure and dinner is always at this time. You get ready for bed at this time. You go to sleep at this time. And then adding school into it when we got a bit older. And there was just always this structure. And even though she was in the Air Force, she also studied education as well. And she worked in early childhood education up to grade two. So she had an understanding of child development as well. And she would sort of coach us and teach us how to behave in certain situations. And one of those situations was when you go and see the doctor, you have to sit still, you can't talk, you have to listen, you need to be up on your best behavior because it's really important and you can't waste that time. So through my childhood, my mum had kind of trained all of us to sort of sit still and listen and only talk when the doctor was speaking to us. And if it wasn't that situation, then we weren't saying anything. And I think as an adult now, I still behave in that way. And that's exactly what happened when I went to go and get diagnosed for ADHD was I sat in the chair and I didn't move probably for the first hour. I just was sitting still containing this buildup of energy that I felt inside of me, but sort of that's just how I was trained as a kid. Yeah. This was learned behavior. And like you said, just then I was containing it. I was holding myself in. You know, I noticed so many people that are, are really good maskers or want to be the, the good kid or, you know, like you said, you had a lot of kind of discipline and structure. I don't know that you said discipline, but, that, you know, there's something about that structure and routine that, that demanded that of you. And so you learn how to sit still despite the discomfort. Yeah, and... I think that played a big part in why when I was a kid, me and my brother weren't diagnosed with ADHD or even possibly being on the autism spectrum was because my mum had essentially coached us out of the behaviors that would identify children as having some of those traits because, of course, it's a little bit harder to for kids to have sort of deeper introspective thoughts and depending on the age, their cognitive ability might not be able to allow them to self-describe what's happening internally. They might not have the words or really understand. I think a lot of times like child psychiatrists look for those behaviors. Yeah, definitely. And we just didn't have them. Yeah, I think the same as said for me. You know, I grew up in an era of children seen and not heard sort of scenarios. So at school most of the time apart from some chattiness i i was more of a reserved daydreamer and and i even observe in my own child who's 9 she has adhd uh not a formal diagnosis but i think i i know enough now to to see it and we'll we'll get there down the track she's she's aware of it but when she did articulate her experience to me before i told her what adhd was in school, she would just sit and behave, mainly because she was terrified of this particular teacher. And so she would just sit and and not do anything and hold herself until she got home and then she'd have, you know, really big outbursts. So we can certainly contain ourselves when we need to. It's just not comfortable, is it? Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because 
I think my mum was very aware of the fact that that's what we were doing because we, in Australia, majority of kids do go through the industrial education system, which kind of demands kids to sit still and listen for such long periods of the day. And so we'd finish school at quarter past three, go home, afternoon snack, and then it was outside to play for an hour before we came in to do our homework. And I think my mum was very aware that we sort of had this pent-up energy that needed to go somewhere and needed to be directed somewhere, and it was always go outside and play. One of the things that I learned in school, and uh, I guess my mum kind of encouraged it because it meant that I was more focused, was um, tapping my legs um, either one or both going at the same time because I could then listen to what the teacher was saying to me while, I guess, self-regulating to a degree physically and the energy going somewhere because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to concentrate. Yeah, absolutely. People used to say with my leg bouncing that, uh, you know, you're anxious, you know, and they'd do the horse bite on my leg or cut it out, you're shaking the table. I'm like, no, this is this is comforting. This is helping me sit here. This is part of, you know, what I need to do. And and luckily, I think schools are a little bit more allowing of kids to move. And especially a neurodivergent child needs to move to learn. Most of them. Yeah. You know, there are a few more internalized ones, but children in particular, and many many adults as well, need to be moving to be able to process information. I mean, even now, my leg is tapping and I do struggle to sit for long periods of time in one position and that's consistent through my entire adult life. I just think that I wasn't really in the right headspace to sort of identify that behavior or other behaviors as something that could be ADHD. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, during lockdown and sort of coming out of the void of depression into experiencing emotions properly as an adult for the first time, it was really apparent that there was all of these things that I was doing that weren't, I guess, what you would typically expect of a 27-year-old adult person to be doing. Uh, there was one point where my ex-partner said, uh, you know, maybe this is something you need to talk to your psychologist about. You know, maybe you have bipolar or who knows, there could be something that you don't know about. Um, and so, I went to my psychologist and said, do you think I have bipolar? And he said, absolutely not. Right. Uh, you don't have any of the indicators, um, but there could be something else that I don't have formal training in. What were some of those other other things that were being noticed either within yourself or that you're identifying with those kind of TikTok reels or or that your ex-partner was noticing? What are some of the other quirks that you haven't spoken about? Starting something and then not finishing it and then just sort of bouncing from one thing to the next to the next to the next. I do it with uh, housework a lot. cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah starting laundry and then moving to vacuuming and then not finishing the vacuuming because the the sound is making me feel a little bit too overwhelmed in the moment and then moving on to cleaning the kitchen and then sort of never really finishing any of the things that I started and then getting mentally tired and then just sitting on the couch and then just zoning out and watching TV to sort of 
I guess, bring me back inside myself. I, th- I think that was one of the behaviors that I sort of noticed a lot uh, during COVID was I was using a lot of things. I thought I was using them to distract myself, but it was really as a way to sort of calm myself and self-soothe a little bit. Tell me a bit about that, the the different things that you were doing to kind of self-soothe or that you thought were kind of distractions. I guess the easiest ones that I think a lot of people would be able to identify with is watching Netflix or TV and then also playing video games. And I definitely, video games is one of the things that I hyperfixiate on a lot where it's just a sucks all of my time away and I could be playing for six hours straight, not have gone to the bathroom or eaten anything, but it would only feel like an hour has passed because I've been so so enveloped in what I was doing that I can't really think about anything externally. And because I had so much time during during COVID and the lockdowns, I was playing video games a lot more than I normally would have. And then sort of noticing that it made me feel a lot calmer, but also more of a sense of control because the situation that everyone was in was very out of control, but then also within myself, not really just feeling very jittery, I guess. I don't know how I would describe it. Just having constantly feeling like I have this energy, but there's nowhere to to place it, nowhere to put it. It's almost skin crawly sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to get rid of this. I don't know how to move it. It's like a kind of like an itch that needs to be scratched, but you have to figure out what it is that's going to be able to help you get out of that sort of, yeah, skin crawly feeling because it's not always, oh, if I go outside and go for a walk for an hour, maybe that will make me feel better. And then sometimes it makes you feel worse. And then you feel like, I just feel like I need to do something else. And then so, and a lot of the time it ended up being, yeah, playing video games or watching Disney movies, but skipping through a lot of the the movie, not really. Like if there was that part of the movie where it would slow down or just like a scene where, I've already watched it. I don't need to watch that again. Skipping to the next part where it's really engaging Engaging. for me. You know, I'm curious about how, and, you know, I'm sure there's lots of different things that that led to the feeling of depression or that, you know, that clinical depression phase in your life. But do you feel that your undiagnosed ADHD played a part or did that just kind of yeah, I just want to kind of understand how you think that might have been part of that journey for you. I think definitely at the beginning, I was 14 when I first, I was probably younger when the feelings, those feelings of depression started. But I guess 14 was when I sort of became self-aware enough to identify that something's wrong and I don't think I should be feeling this way. But because of my ADHD, uh, I think a lot of the time externally it might seem that I was fine or that everything was okay because I had energy to do something or I was really uh, in invested in a video game or 
uh, wanting to go outside and be active and just do something. So I think that it definitely played a part at the beginning in sort of not really being able to get a formal diagnosis for my depression because um, it was masking your depression rather than kind of being the other way around. You were able to kind of maybe put on a cheery face or an energetic way of being and and so people didn't really notice what was happening internally for you. Yeah, yeah. And then even when I was, uh, I think it was when I was 15, maybe 16, I saw a school counsellor and then my school had a quite a good school counsellor um, and sort of structure around talking to kids about these things. So my parents had a conversation with the school first and then they spoke with the school counsellor and then it was my from my understanding quite a big discussion and then the school counsellor then spoke with teachers my teachers to see if there was anything that they could really identify and no one really felt like I was displaying um, depression and so the school counsellor came back to me and essentially said I think you just need to think happy thoughts and um, do things that make you feel happy. And I can see, as an adult, I can see why he he would have said that, but I think I probably needed realistically to see a trained psychologist rather than a counsellor because even though all of the adults in my life might not have been able to see it because I was a very engaging student and I participated because I guess it helped me to sort of distract myself. A lot of my late teens and early 20s was me finding things to sort of distract myself from my depression. And so it meant that I got told I didn't have depression. And then I sort of like lived in that until I was 21 and then tried again and then saw a psychologist and then, okay, I do have something going on that I need help for. Wow. That's just like, I mean, that's rubbish, right? To have an internal experience and you might not have the words to express it or the way to share it or show it, but that's up to the people around you to, to listen, to stop and listen. You know, obviously I'm a counselor, not a psychologist. And obviously I don't, diagnosed, but if somebody said to me, I feel depressed, I would be listening to them and understanding their, you know, their perspective. And that's just rubbish that it was, you know, just dust it off, think happy thoughts. Like that's must have been incredibly confusing and frustrating for you. Yeah, yeah. And it I think it definitely caused this very big it was confusing, but also this internal conflict that I had within myself where You know, I had been told by uh, an adult, by someone that I thought I could trust that, no, you don't have depression. Uh, Sometimes you you, maybe you just feel sad and you just need to try to be happy, but then still internally wrestling with this huge, big thing that was inside of me that I felt I didn't know what to do about and didn't know where where to turn to because, you know, I had already tried to talk to my parents. I tried to talk to the counselor at school and I didn't really feel like I had the autonomy to do anything else. And it was even talking to the school counselor was petrifying at the time. Yeah. It wasn't until I was older and I felt 
I could take those steps myself and try to discover for myself if there was something wrong where there was something that eventuated to me getting help and having therapy. And I think it flipped from when I was a teenager where it was the ADHD was masking the depression. And I guess if anything, the depression was kind of slowing me down um, at some points because, you know, I still didn't want to get out of bed every day. Every day was a struggle. Uh, And then in my early to late 20s, it was the other way around where my depression was covering up my ADHD. And even though I might feel days where I feel really overwhelmed and I might have said it felt like anxiety, which was probably my ADHD, but because I was so depressed, there was too many other things to think about that felt bigger that I needed to concentrate on. Yeah. Yeah, it was difficult. Really difficult, you know, journey there to try and understand what's happening for you and even uh, having other people understand what's going on for you. What is it like now for you? Uh, I, I hope that you're out of the the feeling of deep depression now and now that you've got this ADHD diagnosis, what is it like for you? I think, I guess manageable is how I would describe it. I think for so much of my life, almost half my life, things just didn't feel like I had any control. And now there was a lot of issues that I had to work through in therapy um, while I was medicated to sort of move through the depression and what was causing me to feel that way. And then sort of the chaos of in between coming out of depression and then going to get an ADHD diagnosis and not really feeling balanced at all. And then now having been medicated for uh, about a year and a half and I guess focusing more on structure and routine and I guess all of the things that my mum sort of instilled in me when I was um, very young, uh, I feel I guess the closest to normal Mm. that I I can. Yeah, like you're able to work within that structure and instead of kind of masking from behind it, you're able to use it to your advantage and, yeah, and feel like you're more in control of what's happening. Just going to ask about your your feeling of your your self talk or your narrative or you know maybe how you did think about yourself before you even understood you had ADHD compared to the narrative now because I know there's usually a lot of negative stories that we have about ourselves when we don't know what is happening for us or why we are responding or doing things. There was definitely a lot of negative self talk. There was a lot of uh, shaming myself. Why did I act that way? Why do I talk so much? Before I knew I had ADHD for a long time, um, when I was dating, I would often feel maybe on the first or the second date that it was just sort of this or too much talking, too many words coming out and not allowing the other person to participate in the conversation and having a lot of yeah, negative self-talk around around that and why do I do that? Why am I always talking too much? I need to give people space and 
allow the other person to talk. And definitely, I think that it affected my relationships for a long time because I didn't have this understanding of where these behaviors were coming from or why I was acting the way I was. And yeah, not really giving myself any sympathy or uh, room to make mistakes. There was just, I held myself to a really high standard. And if I wasn't meeting the standard, then I was beating myself up for it. Right. And so you had this high standard that was almost impossible to meet without really understanding what was happening for you and how you could, you know, work with it or, you know, different strategies. You were just like, I should be able to do that. I'm not doing that. Therefore, I'm rubbish. That's one part where the ADHD is kind of like for some of the worst parts of my depression sort of like created this loop narrative in my mind where the negative things that I, that I was perceiving I was doing, I was then shaming myself for it and then making myself feel worse and then- Oh, for sure. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, really, really kind of common experience for- for I think all ADHDers um, that really don't know what's happening for them, and I can only imagine how how much worse it was when you're in a state of you know real depression. I think as well, I wasn't really able to have any relationships that were built upon knowing myself because I didn't really have the capacity to do self reflection to the point where I could understand myself. Um, because of the depression, but then even when I came out of it, I think there still wasn't that I didn't I wasn't regulate self regulated enough, or uh, before the medication have had the capacity, the mental capacity to really do deep reflection and have this understanding of myself that I do now. I definitely know that for my romantic relationships, but also my relationships with friends and family, that my ADHD definitely didn't help because I didn't know what was happening. And so now I feel like I'm able to ha have a lot stronger relationships um, because I know more of myself and know why I act or do the things that I do. And the difference is now I kind of stand up for myself uh, a lot more than perhaps I would have, especially with my parents. I think if you know, maybe start singing or dancing or not really being able to focus or even just like if I go and visit my parents and my mum will ask me, you know, can you hang the washing out? I'll say yes, but then it's like something has just wiped my brain and I can't remember what it was that I was supposed to be doing and then 30 minutes goes by and then, oh, why have you not done done what you said you would do? Now I will say well, you know, I have ADHD. I said yes, but then this happened and then it just yeah. was gone. Look, it, that's that's such an important part of it and something I'm really mindful of with, with my little one who will forget two seconds after you've asked her to do something. And it really reminds me of me when I was little and I remember my mum, would, I would not have done something. She would have asked me to do something. Then I didn't do it. And she would say, did you do what I asked you to do? And I go, ah, uh, what was it? And she would refuse to tell me. She would make me sit there and wait until I figured it out myself, which I never did. It was gone, man. I've got no idea. Like unless I stumbled across the washing, you know, tripped over it, I, I wouldn't remember. So 
you know, having that compassion now for my child and capacity to advocate for myself and for her because she'll beat herself up. Oh, I'm so silly. I should have remembered that. I'm like, yeah, you forgot. That's part of just, you know, how your brain works and we'll find different ways. I'll put it on a post-it note or you can, I'll come and remind you or, you know, that makes such a difference now to be able to advocate for ourselves as adults and, you know, for other young people around us that don't, aren't able to as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are there any strengths that you can see or work, you know, find in your ADHD now? You know, I'm not saying it's a superpower, but some people do identify thing, ways in which they really, you know, like their ADHD brain. I was thinking about this today uh, and I do think about it occasionally every couple of weeks that now it does feel like a big strength, especially in my work life where I'm able to be very, very efficient and I work in an administrative job. So, there's a lot of emails and paperwork and uh, meetings and I do sometimes need to set myself reminders and at times I'll have a pile of paperwork sitting in front of me which I've stacked side by side by side by side and then ordered in in order of priority so that my work is in front of me but I'm able to do it very quickly and very efficiently. Sometimes it does feel like a superpower because I can get so many things done um, when I'm in that hyperfixiated um, mental state that sometimes it does get to the point where I do so much work that I don't have anything else to do. And then my manager is then saying, well, uh, I don't know, what are we going to get you to do? And having to create work for me because I've done so much. And then are they able to be lenient on the days in which, you know, because sometimes it's not as productive, right? There are days where we can just power through things and really get into that that zone and other days where we're kind of chasing our tail a little bit. Do you get that at work or are you kind of mostly on I would say it's probably about 50-50. About half the time I'm really on and focused and able to get a lot of stuff done and then the other half of the time it's just pure chaos and I feel like my feet aren't on the ground. I'm sort of floating in the air just trying to grasp at something to get something done. Uh, I do feel really lucky. My manager... And um, all of my team, they all know that I have ADHD and that I'm medicated. It's really interesting because I still sometimes do that thing where I talk myself down for not getting stuff done. Um, And in the work environment, I end up verbalizing that, oh, I haven't been able to get this done. This is really annoying. Fortunately, the environment that I work in now is one that's really positive where everyone will automatically say, how important is it? Does it need to be done today? Did you need to get it done today? Or can you leave it for tomorrow? Or can you leave it for Friday? Does it need to be done right this second? Or is it something that's less of a priority? And then automatically that will take me out of that mindset and then say, oh yeah, actually I can just leave this for Friday or I can leave this for tomorrow. <sighs> that's that's amazing. How how fabulous that you've got a workplace that is able to recognize that, you know, 
for anybody because it's not just a you know an ADHD individual that would struggle sometimes with I haven't got that done and and needs a bit of you know reality check so it's fabulous that you seem to have a, a supportive culture there that's that's awesome is there anything else you wanted to share before we finish up the main thing I haven't talked about that I would think would be nice to touch on uh, is that quite regularly I will tell myself that I need to be more gentle with myself. Uh, And I talked about it before about kind of like being my own parent uh, in terms of getting things done that need to be done. I think as well, I've been trying recently to, I guess, self-parent in a way that's, as you do with your daughter, being forgiving and saying, you know, that's how your brain works. Uh, You know, we'll figure out a way to work through it and, yeah, tell myself that I need to be more gentle with myself. ADHD is, we tend to have this sort of um, be-all and end-all mentality sometimes where it's like everything just feels really big or if this one thing goes wrong, then everything's going to go wrong. Trying to remind myself that I'm doing very well and I might have forgotten that one thing yesterday or today. Overall, I'm doing really well. I really love that. I love it. You know, I got I got goosebumps, you know, as you were saying it, because we do have to have that internal parent voice. And then I'm fortunate that I am constantly saying it to my kids so I can hear that voice quite often as a parent. So it's I feel like it's easy to bring it back to myself or, you know, turn it towards myself. It is nice to to have people around you as well that can, you know, reflect that back or remind you when you're not able to. And, um, yeah, it's nice when it's a little nine-year-old going, you know what, you made a mistake. Let's just, you know, take a minute. Sometimes it's hard and, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that that does sound nice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you spending time with me today. No problem. It was really nice. Lovely. So if you'd like to share your Awaken ADHD story, you can just reach out on awakenadhd.com.au and maybe follow me on Instagram where I will forget to post regularly uh, and usually get hit with a massive RSD whenever (laughs) I create content. So I'm trying to get better at it. It's this big stumbling block for me, but please reach out and, and follow and I'd love to hear your story as well. So until next time. Uh, stay neurospicy, as Tegan would say. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. This podcast is not a licensed mental health provider. It represents the personal opinions and experiences of individuals. No content should be taken as professional advice or recommendation.